Hi, everyone. It is Easter weekend. He is risen. I didn't hear you. He is risen. Yes, the liturgical response is, he is risen indeed. And uh, that word indeed, I think it's an older British word, which really means absolutely yes. Absolutely. Jesus is indeed risen. So we're going to be talking about the resurrection, of course, this morning. And our passage that we're reading from is Luke 24, verse 1 to 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Well, let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, and we are so grateful for the resurrection and what that means to us. It means something to us today, personally. It means something to, for us in the future. We thank you, Lord, for, for that wonderful, wonderful, transforming power that you brought to this world through Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word today, as we, as we contemplate what you've done for us, that you would remind us and that you would in, in, uh, enliven our hearts to the power of the resurrection in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christianity is completely unique among the world religions. All religions hope for some kind of goal. They all work for some kind of hope for the future. Whether they call it nirvana, that would be Buddhism, or enlightenment, that would be Hinduism and some other Eastern religions, or Valhalla, which would be uh, Norse, a Norse understanding of, of uh, afterlife, or the seven heavens, which uh, the Islamic people believe in. But, but every religion, every group of people in the world believe for some kind of relief from the human condition, some kind of uh, better way ahead. But all of the religions of the world, except for Christianity, set out a pathway to achieve that promise. In other words, if you do this, and if you do that, and if you do them in the proper sequence, and if you do them perfectly well, then the promise, the end goal, the end result of that will be nirvana, or enlightenment, or Valhalla, or heaven. Islam, it's uh, the five pillars. And with Sikhism, it's the ten gurus teaching. And with Buddhism, it's the eightfold pathway. Now, note that universally, everyone knows there is something wrong with humankind. They, everybody longs for some type of, well, we might call it emancipation. Now, emancipation is a, is a word that recently has been used of uh, Britney Spears and her desire to get away from the control of her parents, of freedom from their control of her finances. Uh, in the past, it was used of the slaves after the, after the Civil War, the emancipation of, this, of slaves, the freedom, the, the uh, uh, release from captivity, so to speak. I think, I think that, that every group of people, every religious group, hopes for some future release, some future um, deliverance from the captivity or the sorrow or the pain or the drudgery of living in this life. And everyone, I think, worships something or someone in order to achieve that. 
in hopes that their deliverance will come. Uh, I think scripture talks about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3.1, where the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in our hearts. I think that, that he's created humankind with this longing for something different, a longing for justice, a longing for mercy, a, a mercy, a longing for everything to be set right. I think that's in people's hearts who are followers of Jesus. I think that's in, in secular people's hearts. In, in everybody's heart, there's this longing. And, and theologians call this general revelation. Our Christian hope is based on what Christ has done for us and not on a pathway that we need to follow. And that's a really important distinction to make. You see, even faith does not save us. That would be another pathway. And, and I, sometimes I hear people say that they have been saved by faith. No, that's not exactly true. You have been saved by grace. You know, the passage of Scripture that they're, they're endeavoring to quote is Ephesians chapter 2, 8, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It was, if it was the quality of our faith, or the strength of our faith, or the perfection of our faith that saved us, it would just be another work. It would just be another pathway like all the other religions. No, we're saved by grace. We're saved by something that Christ has done for us, and our faith is simply accepting what Jesus has done for us. Now, you may think I'm splitting hairs, but this is a very, very important distinction that sets up Christianity as being unique among all the other world religions. You see, the resurrection of Jesus proves that God has done something fundamental for the human condition. This is a game changer. And uh, the Apostle Paul discusses this. He, he ponders this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 to 19. When, when he ponders uh, what would happen if the resurrection wasn't true? And this is what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that there are, there are two consequences of the resurrection. There are two consequences if the resurrection did not happen. If it did not happen, he says in verse 17, we are still in our sins. In other words, the problem of the human condition has not been solved. The problem of uh, injustice, the problem of of uh, death, the problem of, of man's failing and man's inhumanity and all of the evil things that happen in the world, that'll never be resolved unless Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And secondly, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, we will not be raised from the dead when Jesus returns. That's in verse 19. We are to be pitied. He says we are to be felt sorry for men more than anybody else in the world. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means we will not rise from the dead. There's no such thing as resurrection. We're to be pitied. You know, in, in Jesus's day, he, he might have been referring here to the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of Jews, uh, something similar to the Pharisees, that uh, were mainly responsible for the upkeep of the temple. In fact, after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the, the Sadducees disappeared because there was no longer use for them. But the Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife. 
They didn't believe in the resurrection. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they, they lived the kind of lives where when they did good, it was just for this life. They had no hope for the future. And that's why the, the old dad joke is, that's why it's sad, you see, to be a sad, you see. They had no hope for the future. And if, if there is no resurrection, then we, like the Sadducees, are sad, you see. If there is no eternity with Jesus, what hope is there for this life, for this world, for humankind? If Jesus did not rise from the dead... Now, through the centuries, there have been five alternative explanations for the resurrections, and, and, and these have been used uh, by various authors over, you know, um, over many, many times. But, but all of the, the excuses or the reasons that perhaps try to deny the resurrection fall into these five categories. The first is this. Someone who just looked like Jesus died on the cross. Uh, this was first suggested by Muhammad uh, six centuries after the death of Christ. Someone just looked like Jesus died on the cross. Well, that's pretty hard to believe. That's, that's pretty far-fledged. Then what happened to Jesus if someone who just looked like Jesus died on the cross? And where was Jesus? The, the second theory that tries to explain away the resurrection is that Jesus merely fainted on the cross and woke up later or was resuscitated in the tomb. Now, just think this through. After all Jesus went through, he went through at least three trials. He was scourged almost to death. He wore a crown of thorns. He carried a cross down the Via Della Rosa. He was hung on the cross, and nails were driven through his ankles and through his hands. A spear was thrust into his side, and then he was put in a tomb. Now, what the theory states is that Jesus somehow was resuscitated in the tomb. Maybe the coolness or the dampness of the, the tomb revived him. And then, with all of that going on in his body, he miraculously somehow removes the stone from the mouth of the tomb and escapes professional guards. I mean, that is really, really far-fetched. The, the third uh, reason that people give for uh, explaining away the resurrection is that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Really? Uh, both the men and the women? I can understand the men going to the wrong tomb because, you know, we tend not to ask for directions very often, but both the women and the men, uh, nobody looked elsewhere. No one looked next door. No one realized their mistake. That's pretty hard to understand, pretty far-fetched. And, you know, the Romans and the Jews only had to produce the body of Jesus, and they could have stopped Christianity in its tracks, but they couldn't produce the body because Jesus was risen. Now, the fourth, the fourth excuse or reason that people use that Jesus did not rise from the dead is that the disciples stole his body. So this assumes that a bunch of timid Galileans who were seemingly afraid of their own shadows uh, during the crucifixion somehow mustered the enthusiasm, strength, courage to outmaneuver professional soldiers and steal the body of Jesus. And then not to leak the story of stealing the body of Jesus, to keep it a secret for their entire lives. In fact, to die with that secret. Now, Chuck Colson, who uh, was the founder of Prison Fellowship, uh, he was the legal counsel to President Nixon during the 70s, during the Watergate fiasco. Now, some of you remember that. Some of you have read about it in history. But this is when the President of the United States uh, spied on his uh, opponents and did something illegal, and uh, they tried to keep it a secret. But the, 
Chuck Colson, the legal counsel, actually went to prison because of it. And while in prison, he gave his heart to Jesus. And, and one of the reasons he said he came to the conclusion that the resurrection was true is he said a, a bunch of very uh, smart and powerful men couldn't keep a secret for two weeks. <laughs> they leaked it. And he said, how could those disciples, on penalty of death, keep the secret for their whole lives? And that's one of the reasons Chuck Colson uh, uh, realized the truth of the resurrection. Well, the fifth reason that people sometimes use to explain away the resurrection is that the disciples were delusional. Uh, there was some kind of mass hypnosis taking place. Uh, uh, there was some kind of uh, hallucination that they experienced. But, but first of all, it's, it's really quite phenomenal that people would think that the hundreds who saw Jesus all were delusional and that they ate with Jesus. Now, hallucinations, hallucinations usually don't eat, so that's pretty far-fetched. And in fact, the story uh, gets them killed, and uh, uh, nobody recants, and uh, no one comes up with a better explanation than those given above, then we have to conclude that, yes, indeed, Jesus rose from the dead. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, the world changed on that first Easter morning. A way was opened. An invitation was given. We've been made right with God, and we have been promised resurrection and eternal life if we will only accept what he has done. So examine the evidence. Take some time. Think about it. Now, there's historical evidence outside the biblical witness. We have historical evidence about the life, the ministry, the death of Jesus. In fact, some have said that we have more evidence for the historical Jesus than we do for the historical Shakespeare. And Shakespeare only lived 400 years ago or so. The counter-arguments are very weak. Secondly, there is the eyewitness testimony. Consistent, unwavering testimony in the Gospels and through the life of the Apostle Paul and, and through the life of the other disciples, those early disciples of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, there's the evidence of changed lives today. And, and I think this is some of the strongest evidence. Do you know that? People who put their trust in Jesus, people who accept the truth of the resurrection, experience resurrection power in their own lives and find change and uh, complete uh, transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, resurrection power is not something that just happened in the first century to Jesus. Resurrection power is at work today. Because Jesus rose from the dead, a new kind of life is available today for you and for me. I think this is a touchpoint doctrine. And what I mean by that is it's, it's a central doctrine to Christianity. One of the most important things to understand is the reality of the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that we need to keep it in mind. I think that we need to come coming back to it and as we go through the various uh, challenges in our lives and keep remembering Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, then I know resurrection power is available today. I know that he has dealt with the sins of my life. I know that someday I will too get a resurrected body and I will spend eternally, eternity with Jesus. It makes a difference in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for resurrection power. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. This, this essential doctrine to the Christian faith is so unique. It's so powerful to know that not only have you dealt with the sins, the 
problems, the mistakes, and the, the, the horrible things that, that we have done in the past and have you've dealt with them, and, and that you have a cure for humankind. Not only that, Lord, but we will spend eternity with you if, you if we will accept you into our lives as Lord and Savior. We thank you that you are at work today in our lives, in our world. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of being involved in the world today. you using us to, to bring your resurrection power to those who are lost, to those who are hurting, to those who are afraid. Thank you, Lord, for your work today in our lives. Thank you for the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again. Amen. I have a question of the day for you. It's not really a question. It's an imagining. Imagine for a moment what heaven will be like. What do you look forward to most in your resurrection life? I think that this is important to think about every once in a while and to keep into, in our minds. What will be heaven? What will heaven be like? What do you look forward to the most? We'll play some music in the background and I'll come back with a concluding comment. Did you ever get nervous watching your favorite team play? <laughs> Monday, I watched the New York Yankees play the Toronto Blue Jays, and I was totally relaxed, unlike my usual sports-watching adventure. You see, I knew the score of the game and that the Jays won 3-0. I saw the end of the game. I was watching a replay. I only watched the replay to see how they did it. I found that interesting. You know, in the same way, I know the end of your story. It ends in victory. It ends in resurrection. You can relax. It's just a matter of how God is going to work that all out. That's so true. So relax. Know that God is at work in you. Know that the power of the resurrection is at work in your life. Watch as God's unfolding plans will end in victory and resurrection. He is risen.
Our doxology this week is from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Amen. He is risen.